We're going to John chapter 3. We're going to read three verses. Not in the same section. I'm going to have you do a little bit of turning in your scriptures. But only three verses we'll read. John chapter 3. We'll look at verse 17. I was speaking with David earlier about uh, my, my hymns that I would like at my funeral. Both of the hymns we sang are two that I was, I've spoken to Dave about having at my funeral. So I don't know if that's why he called it, because I'm here speaking. I don't know if that's a bad omen either. But uh, settled forever and only a sinner saved by grace. Two beautiful hymns that I'm sure other believers here would, would echo uh, with joy, knowing the truth of sins forgiven. That's why we're here tonight. So this may be your first time at a gospel meeting, or maybe you've heard this message many times before. But the message is the same, and the opportunity is the same for salvation. And that's why we're here. We're here because we believe this wholeheartedly. And we found the greatest thing in the world, God's salvation, forgiveness of sins, and assurance of heaven. Settled forever is sin's tremendous claim by the work of Christ. And that's what we want to talk about tonight as we look at these verses. So you read these three verses, I want you to keep in mind three things... That God has done. Now at the end of the three verses, you're going to notice my train of thought, because it's a little bit abstract. And you're going to say, wait a minute, it's supposed to be a simple message. Well, it is a simple message. You'll get it. Three things that God has done. We're going to read John chapter 3 and verse 17. John 3.16 would be well known. Maybe we don't read as much John 3.17. It says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. It's interesting, we might know John 3.16 well about God's love for the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But now, in John 3.17, it tells us God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Now keep that in mind and turn over to the book of Romans in chapter 8. So you have John, and you're going to go to Acts, and then Romans. Two books over, going forward in your Bible to chapter 8. And we're going to read at verse 32. Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. This is speaking of God. You can read there at the end of verse 31. Speaking of God Himself, and it says, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? I want to really focus on that first part. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. John 3 and 17 says, He didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world. The world that the world through him might be saved. Now in Romans chapter eight, we see he who spared not, he didn't spare his own son, but offered him up for us all, delivered him up for us all. Now one last verse in the book of Hebrews. So we're going forward again in our Bible now, the book of Hebrews in chapter ten. And we're going to read at verse thirty seven. Hebrews 10, verse 37. And it says, For yet a little while, and he that shall come, will come, and will not tarry. For yet a little while, and he that shall come, will come, and will not tarry. 
So I said I want to talk about three things that God has done in these verses. Three things that God has done. But the abstract part of it is, if you've noticed, when we're reading the verses, we actually read three things that God didn't do. So in looking at the three things that God has done, I want you to think about three things that God didn't do. And so we're looking at what God has done by what He did not do. You say, okay, I'm already confused. Well, it's really not that hard. Think about the verses that we read. It says, God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And that verse outlines beautifully something miraculous and great that God has done for us through what He refrained to do. God has done something great in holding back at what He actually could have done. You see, God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world. In not sending His Son to condemn the world, God has done something great. That the world through Him might be saved. You see, that little verse has so much packed into it. We see the very character of God in how God should operate. But then we see the beautiful character of God in how He does operate. You see, we, see we, we have the absolute justice of God in what should have been done. God should have condemned the world by His perfect Son, the one who lived righteously, the Lord Jesus. But He didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Instead, we see the mercy of God and the grace of God that the world through Him might be saved. That's why we're here tonight. We would love to see you saved Maybe that's a new word to you. Maybe it's a simple word to understand. But in the context of a a Bible message, maybe it's difficult to understand. What is it to be saved? It really means the same as we would use it in a rescue situation. To be pulled out of a trouble. To be rescued from danger. The Lord Jesus, who came into this world, didn't come to condemn with the authority of God. Didn't come to lay down condemnation among a sinful mankind, but instead that the world through Him might be saved from sin. You see, that's why we're having meetings like this tonight. In fact, the baptism that you're going to see is evidence of two boys, two men, who have taken it upon themselves, the, 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 the work of Christ, and applied it to their lives trusted Christ for salvation and have been saved from God's judgment and wrath. From the penalty of sin. God who could have condemned but didn't condemn and said that the world through His Son might be saved. That is the full purpose of our meeting here tonight. That is the full purpose of of, of these gatherings all across the United States and Canada tonight. That the gospel might be preached. That the world might hear about the Lord Jesus and through Him might be saved. That was the second verse we read in Romans. It said, He who spared not His own Son. So the first verse that we read, we see God's dealing with mankind. God dealing with you and me. He didn't send His Son into the world to condemn, although He should have but that the world through Him might be saved. Now we see God dealing with His Son, the Lord Jesus. And what did God do by His not doing, by His inaction? You know, it says, He spared not His own Son. God didn't spare Him. But instead, He delivered Him up. He offered Him up for us all. You see, God could have spared His Son. God should have spared His Son. If anybody deserved to live, if anybody deserved life, if anybody deserved blessing and honor for their life work on earth, it was the Lord Jesus. 
in Him who was no, there was no sin. Never sinned, never could sin. Fully pleasing to God. Dave said it before in the Gospel. The only one who has ever fully loved God and fully loved man. Fully pleased God with all that He has done. And yet, God spared not His own Son. That's powerful. You see the God that we're speaking about? It's a God of righteousness and justice, but it's a God of great love and mercy. He should have spared His Son, but He didn't. Instead, He delivered Him up for us all. What a great work of God. Delivering up His perfect Son to bear the punishment for my sin. God deals with man, should have condemned, but instead that the world through His Son might be saved. God deals with His Son, should have received blessing and honor, should have been spared, should have received life, but instead God delivers Him up for us all. And perhaps the most chilling verse and the most convicting verse, really, here in Hebrews, says, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and he will not tarry. Every believer in this room is looking forward to a day when the Lord Jesus is coming back to this earth, to this air, to the air, and will take believers home. Because the Lord Jesus rose from the grave, every person who is saved in this meeting tonight is looking for a day of resurrection when our bodies will be changed and will be taken up. You know what this verse says? It says He's not going to tarry. He's not waiting for anything else to be accomplished. He's not waiting for anything else to be done. The one that will come, that, that shall come, will come. And He will not tarry. Nothing will hold Him back. There's nothing more that needs to be accomplished. I'd like to think of it this way though. Maybe, maybe, maybe God is waiting. Maybe God is waiting for something. Maybe He's waiting for you. Don't think that he's waiting for peace in the Middle East and he's waiting for uh, the United States debt crisis to be handled and he's waiting for the, the world situation to settle. He's waiting for a huge Christian campaign. No, he's not waiting for any of that. He's not waiting for prophets or for miracles. No, he's not waiting for anything else. There's no more Bible being written. I'd like to think that God is waiting though and maybe waiting for you. And here you are at a gospel meeting and maybe you've been at many before. And it'd be sad if this was your last gospel meeting. Because God has been waiting. And God has been waiting. And the Holy Spirit has been pleading with you. And the Word of God has been opened unto you. And salvation's opportunity has been given unto you. And God is waiting and waiting until the last person is saved. Wouldn't it be wonderful if someone saved here tonight? You know what? There's going to be a day when God no longer will wait. He won't tarry. He won't hold back, but the one that shall come will come. And take home those that are his own. It's a wonderful thing to be saved. Settled forever, no work of thine. No tears or sorrows to add to grace divine. God says, I blot out every sin and stain, and will remember them no more again. Look at that first verse there in John chapter 3. I'd just like you to think about God's dealing with men. God dealing with you and me. You know what? I don't know about you. But I am thankful that when God deals with me, He doesn't come forward in His character of of righteousness and justice when He deals with me. Because that's the very God that we do deserve. We deserve the judge to stand and deliver the judgment, the sentence upon each one of us. Death for sin. We had Vacation Bible School this week in Livingston. And we spoke about creation. And you can't look at creation without looking at that verse. There's those verses there in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. 
Where men, man and woman in that garden sinned against God. One rule and broken. Disobedience against God. And by one man, sin entered into the world. And death by sin. I told the children, I said, don't let anybody ever question the reality of, of death because of sin. That's God's rule. That's what God laid down. And if God dealt righteously and justly with every one of us, we deserve death for sin. We deserve ultimate punishment and the wrath of God for our sin. doesn't matter how good of a person you are or how religious you are or how many great things you've done. It doesn't matter. Death for sin. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. You know, I look back to the 1820. Was, uh, in 1820, it was called the Era of Good Feelings here in America. If you know anything about American history, James Monroe was president. It was called the Era of Good Feelings because there were no political parties. Actually, all the politics was within one political party. There was no strife and, and confusion and division in, in America. That would be beautiful today if we could have an Era of Good Feelings. It seems like it's just the opposite. It's the, it's the Era of Confused and Bad Feelings. Everyone's angry. The economy's not good. We don't know what's going on with the presidential election. Nobody can trust anyone. And, and, and we're, we're all confused and, and everyone's much in controversy and conflict. But 1820, they call it the era of, of good feelings. Uh, as historians, we look back on that and we say, I'm not really so sure how great the feelings were. 1820 was a monumental year because there was a compromise made over an issue in America that was a hot-button issue at the time. Slavery. Slavery. Thank God it's gone. Thank God we don't have that anymore. Issues like slavery, where men own other men. In 1820, much like many of the other years, in the early 1800s, you know what people did? They made compromises. 1820, the Missouri Compromise, where some states would be allowed slavery and some would not, to ease the tension among the Congress. So there wouldn't be a fight over states that had slavery and states that didn't. There wouldn't be a voting dispute. There wouldn't be an uneven balance of power in Congress. And so there would be compromises. Compromises. You know what happened to all the compromises of the early 1800s? Broken. Broken. Men couldn't keep them. Deals were made. Contracts were signed. Compromises were made. The Missouri Compromise. Many shook hands, happy that the situation of slavery has been settled. Now we're not going to have any more fights. And it would be just a few decades later. And it would be broken. And slavery would run through the north. And wars would break out. And skirmishes and militia would get involved. And people would die. You know what the problem is? People, people can't keep their, their word. People can't keep their word. They, they have good intentions with compromise. But they can't keep to it. They can't hold to their word. And as we know, there would be, we would come to 1861 when the entire country would erupt into civil war. You know, I look, I look at the entire history of Scripture. You can flip right through your Old Testament. And you know what you see? You see compromise. You see compromise. You see, God laying down law and mankind failing to keep it. God laying down rules and His own people, His own children, unable to keep it. That's why Isaiah would write about God, I have raised up children and they have rebelled against me. That's why Isaiah would write later and say, all we like sheep have gone astray. You know what the problem is? It's not that God's unfair. It's not that God has done something wrong. We like to think that. We never want to look at ourselves. We like to call God down and justify Himself to us. Why there is suffering in the world? Why are there problems? 
Why there is so much evil? We like to call God down and say, you've been unfair. You've done wrong. But the reality is, we've done wrong. You see, it's an internal problem. It's sin in our hearts. It's sin in our nature. It's sin that goes right back to the very beginning of mankind. And it's a disease we can't get rid of. It's something we can't take care of. You know what you see through the Old Testament though? Compromise. God who comes down ready to sweep in with a judgment of death for sin. And you know what God does? He he backs off. He's a God that's long-suffering. He's a God that is rich in mercy. And all we see when He deals with mankind is His mercy and His grace. And men would bring sacrifices and shed blood as a, as a covering, as a payment for sin, as a compromise, as a way to appease God, as a way to cover their sin, a substitute to take their place. And God would sit back in mercy. And it would all come forth to the point of the cross of Calvary. And the Lord Jesus would come and finally put sin away forever. You know what the problem was? It didn't matter how good men intended to be. It didn't matter how good men wanted to be. Or how good they were. Or how many laws they could keep. The problem is that we could never obey God fully. We're sinners. And you look to the Old Testament or the New. You look to today or yesterday. It doesn't matter. Everyone's under the same boat. Sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm thankful for a a compromising God. You know what the thing is? God never compromised His righteousness. And that's why John chapter 3 has so much value to me. God allowed mercy where there should have been justice. But God didn't compromise on His part. Man fell apart. Man couldn't keep God's law. And in a sense we see God showing mercy. But when we come to John chapter 3, we see God's dealing with men. God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Where men in past, in times past, might have been thankful that God backed off in judgment. It was all just boiling up to a point when one man would take away sin forever. That's what the Bible would say about the Lord Jesus. The Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. All of the animals in times past that were slain as substitutes for sin would come right down to the point of Calvary where the Lamb of God would die for sin. All we like sheep that have gone astray, everyone to his own way. But the Lord would lay upon him the iniquity of us all. No, God never compromised. God allowed mercy where men failed. Men couldn't keep their part of the bargain. We could never appease God with our actions or our works. And God showed mercy. But He didn't compromise His righteousness. His justice. And that's why we see His dealing with men. And then He's dealing with His Son. What does it say? He spared not His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. The One who came into the world who should have condemned because of sin, but yet showed the mercy of God that the world through Him might be saved. That's you and I tonight. And if you're not saved, there is opportunity tonight in the work of Christ. He has borne our griefs and our sorrows. He was 
wounded for our transgressions. The very God of mercy in the Old Testament who just piled up sins after sins, laid them upon His Son. He spared not His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. He didn't condemn the world of sinners, although He should have, but instead that the world through that man, His Son, might be saved. You see the good news of the Gospel tonight? It's that we can have forgiveness of sins not by merit of our own, but by the very mercy of God. That's what the Bible would tell us. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's by His mercy that He saved us. It's His mercy. It's His allowance. It's His grace that He sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. He spared not His own Son, but He offered Him up for us all. You know, we look at a God who spared many people. We were reading this week with the boys in the book of Jonah. Men of Nineveh who cried out to God for repentance. And God spared them from judgment that was to come. God spared them from judgment. They weren't even Israelites. They weren't even under a covenant with God. And yet God spared them from judgment, from punishment for sin. You can look through all the Old Testament where God spared those who cried out for mercy. And we come to the cross where the one who obeyed God fully, the Lord Jesus, who never sinned, And yet there was no mercy shown for him. There was no sparing of his own son. Kind of reminds me of a, you know, my father was always the coach of the baseball team or the soccer team. And, you know, you think it's great being the coach's son. Maybe you've had the experience too. You know, it's not not as great as you think. (laughs) You know, the coach's son's always got to be the one to take the lumps. He's always got to be the one to take the worst place. Or or just, yeah, just be quiet. You know, like, just do what I tell you to do. You know, like, the coach's son always gets the worst. You think you should have the prominent role. You know, like, hey, I'm going to get some kind of, uh, you know, benefit here being the coach's son. How much greater when we look at our God in heaven, his son. Not that he just got the, the second place. It's that God took my sin and laid it upon Him. What a substitute. What an incredible work of mercy and grace and love that God spared not His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. You know what? God will spare you. God will spare you. God doesn't want to condemn you. The full wrath and condemnation fell upon Jesus Christ at the cross. And God doesn't want to condemn you for your sin. That's why it's wonderful to sing this hymn. Settled forever. This man offered one sacrifice for sin forever and sat down at the right hand of God. Settled forever. The blood that was shed once and for all, for all mankind, for all sin. And God's willing to offer to you salvation and forgiveness of sins tonight. An era of good feelings in the 1820s? I can tell you salvation is the greatest feeling in the world. No, it's not a feeling that you get tingly and you know an experience that you have. No, but knowing that you're saved, there's nothing greater that you could ever have. Obeying the Lord in baptism as a proof of the change that has taken place inside, there's nothing greater in the the world that you'll ever have knowing sins forgiven and assurance of heaven. He who spared not his own son, the perfect one, the one who deserved life, the one who was fully obedient, he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. What a wonderful substitute. Have you ever thought about what God has done for you? Have you ever taken this... Maybe you know these verses. You've heard it before. It's gone in your ears before. You've taken it all in. Have you ever made it personal? Have you ever realized what God has actually done for you? Sent His Son not to condemn, but that you, through Him, might be saved. 
spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for you, that you might be saved, that you might have heaven, that you might have forgiveness of sins, that you might not be lost for eternity. What a tragedy to leave a gospel meeting lost. To walk away from the Word of God, all that God sacrificed, all of the cost to Him, and to walk away and say, that's nice. I just, it's just not for me. That's nice, but just not now. It's not for me. It's a tragic thing to be lost. The boy yesterday running up and down the subway in New York, crying. And a few of us gathered around him and said, what's the matter? What's the matter? I don't, I don't know. He said, I, my parents, I was with them. And, and then all of a sudden, the doors closed and they were gone. Here's a little 12-year-old boy weeping. You know why? He's lost. The door's closed. And the only thing that he had security on, the only thing that brought him security, his parents were gone. Just he looked down for a second. He got distracted for just a moment. And if you've been in New York, you know what it's like. People getting on and off the subway, you just picked your things up, you, you waited one extra second, and the door's closed. And all of a sudden, they're gone. What will be your response in eternity when you stand before God and He says, Look, my son who could have condemned didn't condemn. I, I spared not my own son, but offered him up for you. All the things that might bring you security here, you know what? There's a day coming, the door will close. The door will close. And you'll be lost for eternity. He who spared not his own son, but offered him up for us all. It's a horrible thing to be lost. You know, it was nice when we got we were not jumped on the next subway train and, and that boy got off the, the on the subway platform there with another man and us and, and uh, the other gentleman said he'd wait for him and on the next subway train coming by his parents got off and were reunited. Wonderful to be found, isn't it? Tragedy to be lost. And yet there's people here tonight in their sins, never saved. Maybe you're secure because you think you've got things around you. Maybe you've been distracted. You just haven't really taken this message and applied it to yourself. And there's a day coming when the doors will be closed. You know what? Today's the doors are opened. Right now is an opportunity. The doors are open. And the Lord Jesus is saying, Come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden. God has said, I I spared not my son. But offered him up, delivered him up for you, that you might be saved. Not to condemn the world for sin, rightfully so, but that the world through him might be saved. And you know what Hebrews tells us? In a little while, he that will come, he that shall come, will come. Every believer here is looking for that day when he will come again. Wouldn't it be tragic to have sat through gospel meeting after gospel meeting? And never made a moment in time when it was serious enough that you wanted to be saved. You always knew it was important. You always knew it was something you needed. But you put it off and put it off. And the day comes when he that shall come will come. And the door is closed for heaven. And he won't tarry. He's tarrying now. He's waiting now. He's waiting for maybe one in Midland Park today. To be saved. Long-suffering, God has waited. Thousands of years, He's waiting. 
And he's waiting for men to come to repentance. For men to come to Christ. For women, boys and girls to come to Christ and to be saved. But there's a day coming and then the one who shall come will come. And every one that's his will be in heaven forever. Because it's been settled forever. I hope you'll be there. There are believers here who have prayed for your soul tonight. Wishing, hoping, praying that tonight might be the night you accept Christ as your Savior. Settled forever. Christ has paid the price. God has done the work. He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. We hope that you'd be with us looking for the day when the one that shall come will come and will not tarry. There are great truths here of the things that God has done for man. That God has done with His Son. That God has done for all eternity. For all mankind. Most importantly, for what God has done for you. And you can be saved tonight. It's that easy. Christ, Jesus, came into the world to save sinners. He was offered up for us all. May God bless His word.